This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. You know, it might surprise you that the invitation that Jesus gave most often throughout his entire ministry was a simple two-word invitation. It was, follow me. I'm continually amazed at how our Christian world tends to, to translate that, follow me, instead of that invitation, we, t- we continually seem to give this, in, this particular instruction. Follow me equals keep my commandments. You probably noticed that. If you grew up in a church, you probably heard plenty of commandments to keep. I grew up in churches that loved Jesus, but oh my goodness, were they commandment oriented. And I have often said, I grew up in a church that did not have 10 commandments. They just had one. Thou shalt not anything. (laughs) We had a rule for everything. Yeah. Can we just say right at the beginning that the whole point of this sermon series, this teaching series that we're in, is this wonderful, simple two-word invitation that you saw pictured so well in the video bumper where if you could put the face of Jesus on that guy, Jesus is simply saying, follow me. Not, Not study my commandments, not study my teachings, although it's great to do that and we're going to do some of that this morning. But the basic invitation that Jesus gives to everyone in the world is a simple invitation. Come and follow me. Why would he give that? Well, fortunately, we don't have to guess because Jesus laid it out for us in one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and it anchors me many times in this life. This is how Jesus put it in John chapter 10. He said, I have come. By the way, this is the Christmas season, and the Christmas season is about Jesus leaving heaven and coming to earth. If you want to know the message behind Christmas, here is the message behind Christmas. I have come. There is a Christmas season so that they, who's the they? That's us. Anybody in the world might have life and what? Have it to the full. You know what that means? That the goal for Jesus, his goal for me, he had it long before Kaiser got it, all right? His goal is that you and I would live well and thrive. Got it? They stole that from Jesus. Yeah. For those of you who are here for the first time today, and you came in wondering, what's this church going to be like? And maybe you had a a church experience in your childhood that was very guilt-oriented and very confining, and and today someone has invited you, and maybe they even drug you to church and said, why don't you come with me to my church? It's not like that. I just want to tell you, whatever we do in this church, it starts right there. That God has such a heart for you that he wants you to live well and to thrive. So Jesus said, let me show you a little bit about what that looks like. If you're going to follow me, here's a little bit of what it looks like. In John chapter 13, just three chapters later, Jesus says, a new commandment I give you. And it doesn't sound new, but it is new. He said, love one another. Circle that word love, because we're going to talk about that this morning. 
And I know we've all heard, if you've ever been to church before, you probably heard a sermon on love, but today we're going to deconstruct it. And that's going to be a whole lot of fun. So love one another. And then he says, I want you to understand what this looks like as I have loved you. This is how you're going to learn to love one another. So when Jesus said, hey, come and follow me, and I'm going to help you live well and thrive. He wants you and me to know that the key to living well and thriving is actually learning about love. And he's going to teach us, and he's going to model for us what love looks like. If you're building a house, what we're talking about here is the foundation. It's what everything else rests on. It's why Jesus came with only one command, that we would love each other. Because everything blossoms and blooms out of that. And so that's what we're going to work on this morning. What does that look like? Because the principle behind this command of loving one another is the key to my living well and thriving. Now the Apostle Paul takes this very principle and says, let me take it apart for you, and I want to teach you about love. I'm going to deconstruct love for you. And we find this in Colossians chapter 3. Paul writes and says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Don't you love how God addresses us? God's chosen people. We are God's favorite people. All seven billion of us on this planet. And he has enough love for every one of us. As God's chosen and dearly loved people, clothe yourselves with compassion. Now you're going to find a number of words underlined in this passage because those are the words we're going to go back to and we're not going to, there's so much in this passage, we're just going to be able to take some major points. But they're underlined. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you have been called to peace and be thankful and let the message of Christ dwell among you how? Richly. Yeah, what a beautiful picture. So let's go back and take those words that are underlined and let's see if we can't deconstruct love and, and, and learn something that would be very inspirational for us today, probably informational, and that would give us a real clear direction to walk out of here today to know what to do. So let's start with the word clothe. Have you noticed that um, sometimes you can look at our clothing and you can tell what we identify with? Now, if you've been here a while, you know that Pastor Kevin is a Bears fan, so I wanted to offer a significant improvement, <laughs> a very big improvement, all right? There you go. And Pastor Kevin, that's for you, buddy. Yeah, there you go. You know, before I brag too much, the Steelers are only 9-2 and two this year. Unfortunately, the Bears are 3 and eight. But one of their wins and one of our losses is they beat us. 
which proves we can lose to anybody. <laughs> That's how that goes. You know what really, you know what it really proves in the long run? It actually, I love Dick's Sporting Goods, but their slogan is 100% hogwash. You know what they say? Give the gift that matters, give sports. Does it really make any difference that the Steelers are nine and two? No. Doesn't change anybody's life. Might get some better contracts for the players, but that's all. Right. I love dicks. I love athletics. I really do. But in the grand scheme of life, it's just a game. Got it? Now, here's something else that you and I probably relate to, and it carries a whole lot more meaning. This is also in my closet. Right? Yeah. Because that means something. Right? Now, here's what I want us to know. When Paul writes and says, clothe yourselves with these things, he was writing to a different audience than you and I are. Because he was writing to an audience in the first century. And in ancient times, clothing was something far different than it is for you and me. Yes, it it covered their bodies just like our clothing does. But in the ancient world, people usually had only one outfit, maybe two. And the interesting thing was about their clothing, it became part of their identity. It's how people could tell who was walking down the street. Now, if you grew up in church, or even if you didn't grow up in church, but you're familiar with Broadway, or you're familiar with Hollywood, there was a musical and there was a movie made a few years ago called Joseph and his, what, Technicolored Dreamcoat. Yes. Based out of the story of Joseph in the Bible. Now, here's the thing. Joseph's father loved him, so he made him this many-colored coat. So wherever Joseph went, he didn't just wear that on Easter and Christmas. You got it? He wore it every day. So everywhere he went, people recognized Joseph by his coat. John the Baptist was the same way. Elijah, a prophet in the Old Testament, was the same way. In fact, pretty much the entire world. Jesus was recognized that way. Do you realize when he hung on the cross and, and they cast lots, they threw dice on the ground to see who would get his robe? It's probably the only robe that Jesus had. Clothing was a part of their identity. So when the Apostle Paul is writing and saying, clothe yourselves with these things, he wasn't talking about go, go to your closet and find something that looks like love and put it on today. Yeah, he was saying, make this part of your identity. I, I, you know the amazing thing about love? And write this down. It's not anywhere. There's no fill in the blank in your notes. But I want you to write this down. Okay? Love not only changes the way we feel, it changes how we look to other people. And that's one of the great things about love. When Jesus said, come and follow me, he said, let me change you so radically that you actually look different to others. And that when they're around you, they have a different experience with you. As we dig into that a little deeper, here's what I want you to see. Here's the principle behind clothing. 
Jesus said, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples. What is it they're going to look? What is it that we're going to be wearing that would set us apart from all those Chicago Bears fans or all those Pittsburgh Steelers fans? What, what is it that people are going to see about us where they will know, oh, that person follows Jesus? Here it is. If you love, yeah, Jesus t shirt, not exactly. If you love one another. So the big question is not who do I identify myself with. I can tell you all day long, I'm a Jesus follower. But you know what? If it doesn't change how I look to other people, and it doesn't change how they feel in my presence, then that's no big deal. Because the big question is not who who do I identify myself with. It's who do people identify me with. Does that make sense? Yeah. So Paul's going to help deconstruct that for us. So did you know there's something you take around with you all the time wherever you go? I call it your PC. And that's not your political correctness. Okay? It's not a comment about being politically correct. Okay? What you carry with you everywhere you go is what I call a personal culture. It's how people feel when they're around you. It's what they see in your eyes. It's what they feel when you interact with them. You carry a personal culture with you. Jesus was amazing at this. What I want you to know is your PC is your ID. It's how people identify you. I don't say that to make you feel guilty. I say that because I want you to know God wants to work with you on your PC. So that your PC is your ID and people connect you with Jesus. Because of who you are. And because of that culture you carry with you. So that's the first thing. Under clothes. That's what Paul is saying. Now. Let's move to the next word, which is humility. Okay? I brought a prop. For those of you who work in construction, you know what this is, right? What is it? A child's level, thank you, because it's not as tall as a door frame, right? Um, So this is a level. Did you know part of your PC is the ground around you? It's amazing. By who you are and by how you interact with people, you actually either create a level ground around you or a ground that's tilted. Ever have anybody shake your hand and instead of reaching out like this, they reach out like this? Yeah. I've had a number of people shake my hand that way. You know what they're saying? I'm over you. I'm in a position of dominance. That's why my hand is like this. Huh. Think with me for just a minute. Who's the most powerful person who ever walked the face of planet Earth? Wouldn't it be Jesus? You know anybody else who raises the dead? Okay, I think he's in a class by himself, all right? Most powerful person who's ever lived. Who's the most righteous person who's ever lived. I'd say Jesus. Sinless, pretty hard to improve on that, right? So here is a person who's the most powerful person who's ever lived, 
and who's the most righteous and godly and good person who's ever lived. And the amazing thing was, no matter who you were, you could be a very, very rich person. You could be a religious leader. You could be the worst of sinners. You could be the poorest of the poor. But somehow when you were in Jesus' presence, you never felt like he was better than you. He was really good at this. Got it? Now here's here's why humility is a core part of love. Because if you study the rest of Scripture, you will find out that humility not only levels the ground around me, it actually unlocks the door to all the other things in that passage. Think about this for a minute. Do you know anybody that is truly gentle, but they're not humble? They're arrogant. Have you ever met an arrogant, gentle person? Nope. Have you ever met a person who was truly patient, but not humble? No. It's amazing. Everything that we talked with, everything we're going to talk about, everything that's in that passage, actually... The thing that unlocks the door for all of those things to become part of your personal culture and mine is humility. And the easiest way to measure humility is how do the people around you feel? Let me give you a personal example of this. So I have a friend who's in the hospital after a horrific car accident and um, in which her legs were mangled from below the knees down, mid-shin down. And so she coded twice, took her an hour, took them an hour and a half to cut her out of the car. They got her to the hospital. The, the, the ER doctor took one look at her legs and said, Whew, there's a possibility they could be saved, but we're not sure. She needs to be life-flighted to a trauma center So they loaded her on a helicopter and they flew her up to Des Moines and put her in a trauma center and uh, they took her straight into surgery and the surgeon started cleaning up the wounds and they didn't even count the number of breaks in her legs because there were so many. Um, The surgeon came out and he said to the family, "Um, I really think we need to take her legs off from mid-shin down. As you might guess, the family was horror-stricken. They weren't ready for that news. They immediately, they said, is there any possibility her legs could be saved? And he said, maybe, but there are some very significant risks involved in that. Can I just fast forward to the end of that conversation? That family didn't receive that news well. They began to advocate to save her legs 20 surgeries later. They took her legs off from mid-shin down. 20 surgeries later. I have a good friend who's a chief medical officer in a hospital he and I were talking about that whole situation because we're both deeply involved in it. And he said to me, Ron, 
You know what I would love to ask that original surgeon who came out and told the family, I think for her good, we really need to take her legs off from from mid-shin down. I would ask him two questions. Number one, were you standing up when you had that conversation or were you sitting down? You know what he was talking about? Leveling the ground. Yeah. Second thing, he said, I would ask him, were you between surgeries? Were you in a hurry? For you and I to be genuinely humble, we have to be aware of what the ground looks like around us. And when someone comes into our presence and they don't feel worthy and they feel like the ground is slanted away from them, it's not up to them to level the ground. It's up to us. Yeah. When you hug a child, get down on their level. Parents of teenagers, you want your kids to talk? Go into their rooms at night when they're laying on their bed and they're getting ready to go to sleep and lay on the floor beside them and ask how their day went. Don't stand over their bed. Lay on the floor. Don't have time to get into all of that today. But humility is this thing that levels the ground, that makes everyone around us feel like they belong there. Let's go on to the next thing, and that's the word love. And so I brought an illustration of of love. It's a cookie. Because everyone loves cookies, right? But friends, this is not just any cookie. If you've been around me a while, you know I love to bake cookies. Because if you bake cookies, you actually get to eat them, right? And if you bake cookies, you get to put in the cookies whatever you want to put in the cookies instead of whatever they have at Safeway. This, my friends, is an Aloha cookie. Okay? It has 13 different ingredients in it, which I will enumerate for you in a little bit. Okay? But I want you to think about this cookie for a minute. Because what makes a cookie delicious is the, is the skillful combination of ingredients. They have to be the right ingredients, and they have to be skillfully put together. And so that's what makes a cookie. By the way, that's also what makes love. And could we have the next slide, please? We're working on it. I take it. All right, here we go. So love is the skillful and something. There it is, the balanced and skillful combination of the right ingredients. Now, in this particular cookie, there's a, there's a teaspoon and a half of baking soda, and there are two and a half cups of flour. What would happen to this cookie if I decided, well, let's put in two and a half cups of baking soda and a teaspoon and a half of flour? Any takers? Nope. Because it has to be the balanced, the correct balance, and it has to be skillfully done. I would tell you that one of the things that makes this cookie really good is when I put the butter 
and the sugar and the other things that are part of the liquid ingredients, I actually beat them for 45 seconds on high and I let them sit for three minutes and then I beat them on for 45 seconds again on high and let them sit for three minutes and I beat them a third time on high for 45 seconds and I let them sit for a full three minutes before I ever put the dry ingredients in and it gets them light and fluffy and it makes a little crust on the outside. Anybody hungry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. I have lot, I have lots of people who would, yes, like this. I have another church service to go through. So there you go. All right. Can I tell you love is the same way? I don't have time to get into it in detail, but I want you to learn this. Most of the time we think of love as a single ingredient. I need to be more loving. And we try to be more loving and act more loving. But love is not actually a single ingredient. Love is the balanced and skillful combination of things like kindness, compassion, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, gratitude. All the things are in that passage. That's why Paul is deconstructing love for us. And it's why he says, hey, when you get all of those and they are balanced, it's love that pulls all those together in perfect unity. Love is the perfect unity of all those individual components. But if you try to work on love itself, that's probably not going to work. That's probably like tasting a cookie and saying, I need more. I, need, I just need to work on my cookiness. No, you better figure out which one of those ingredients is not correct. Because that's how love works. That's why it's amazing. It is the perfect combination of all those ingredients. So that's why Paul says it binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, Paul has another thing to say too. Not just about love, but the next word is rich let. Okay, let's go to let. And I don't have an actual illustration with me. because Well, I do. It's upstairs, but it's not big enough for you to see. So I want to read this passage. The word let literally means allow. So I'm just going to read the passage and substitute the word allow for let. And I think you'll get the idea. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Allow the peace of Christ to rule in your hearts. You realize what Paul is saying? The peace of Christ is already there. The the moment you decided to become a follower of Jesus, he put his peace in there. But you have to allow it to actually rule in your hearts. Yeah. He goes on to say, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful and allow the message of Christ to dwell among you richly. See, here's the problem you and I have. We think that most of that's on us. It's my job to be gentle. It's my job to be humble. It's my job to be peaceful. It's my job to be loving. And God's sitting up there keeping score about how I'm doing on that. That's not the message of Scripture at all. In this very active passage where Paul talks about clothing ourselves, twice in this passage, he uses a word that is completely passive. Allow or let. 
I think perhaps we could learn a lesson from a butterfly. Butterflies go through four stages in life. And the first is they, they start out as an egg. My question for you is how much work does the butterfly put into being an egg? How much? None, right? Okay. The next stage is a larva. Okay. Some would argue, well, the one thing about that that little egg has to do in order to hatch, it has to eat its way out of the shell. Would you and I consider that work? If I ask you to eat this cookie, would you call that work? No, most of us would not label that work, all right? The shell tastes good to that little guy, the little embryo inside there. So he eats it and he hatches it. So there's no real work there. To, to become a larva or a chrysalis, how much work is that? Well, it's a little bit of work. That little caterpillar, that larva, has to spin a little ball of stuff that's a lot like a spider web. It's sort of sticky and gooey. And it has to stick it on the bottom of a twig, and then it has to stick itself to that and hang there upside down and just wait. That's it. Wait. And God somehow turns that little caterpillar into this chrysalis, and inside that, he turns it into a butterfly. And when it breaks open, the butterfly flits off. You know, in that whole process, there's only two things that that butterfly or caterpillar does. One is the caterpillar eats everything green in sight, not work, cookies for the caterpillar, all right? And two, spin that little ball and stick itself to a twig. And God literally does the rest. I think it would be good for you and me to remember that in this process of experiencing change, God does way more of it than we do. And oh, by the way, he's way better at it. Have you noticed? Way better at it. Two things that I want us to get. First of all, following Jesus changes me. I don't change in order to follow Jesus. I don't even change because I now claim to be a Jesus follower. So now I have to change my life so that, so that my life sort of matches who Jesus is. I want you to write this down in your notes somewhere because this is super, super, super important. We have to move beyond trying to imitate Jesus to becoming influenced by him. Have you ever noticed when someone moves into your world and they have some particular saying that annoys you? You ever had anybody do that, move in your world? And, and yeah, of course, we've all had that, right? But you know what's even more annoying? We end up talking like that. We end up saying the very thing we hate. We've all done that too, right? You know what that is? My friends, that's the power of influence. Influence will change you even when you don't want to be changed. And that is why the Apostle Paul used the word let or allow. Following Jesus, when I'm with him, it changes me. But here is the key. The key is this. The key to following is found in my proximity to Jesus. How often do I hang out with him? Do I just get the Bible down and check it off because I read a passage today and I feel better? Well, that's not probably going to change me. But if I hang out with Jesus, 
if I put myself in places like church and like life group and, 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 and like a Bible study or whatever else, when I put myself in places where I can get next to Jesus, he begins to influence me. And in the influencing of me, he changes me. I want you to see a, a key. Jesus had thousands of followers, but there were 12 of them that he knew were going to be absolutely key to the launching of this kingdom that would change the world. And we know them as the 12 apostles. And the Bible says, from among those thousands of followers, Jesus chose 12. And here it is. He appointed 12 that they, what? Might be with him. That was it. That was Jesus' change plan right there. Not that they might study the Old Testament. Not that they might take classes on how to be like Jesus. He just said, hey, come and follow me. Come and be with me. Because when I hang out with Jesus, my life changes. The key is how close and how often am I with Jesus. The last thing, very quickly before we go. Back to the cookie. The last thing that Paul says in this passage is let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Okay? There's an interesting thing. I told you there are 13 ingredients in this cookie. So if you were to take a bite of this cookie, the first thing that you would taste is a wonderful combination of butter and sugar. That's good, isn't it? Yeah, that's addictive, actually. Butter and sugar. The next thing that you would taste is you would taste a burst of a flavoring called vanilla that comes from the vanilla bean. When you put butter, sugar, and vanilla together, is that good? That's very good. Now, you would also notice another flavor in there that you probably don't usually get in cookies, but it's called butter flavoring. So if you put sugar and butter and vanilla and you kick up the butter flavor by adding butter flavoring, how are we doing? Pretty good, right? The next thing you would probably notice is the, the sort of the wonderful uh, burst of flavor from a semi-sweet chocolate chip. I know, so good, right? So good, right? The next thing that you would notice in this cookie is probably the milder flavor, but certainly a warmer flavor of a white chocolate chip. And then underneath all of that, you would catch the mild flavor of toasted coconut. Hence, aloha cookie. Right? I can't wait to tell this story to the second crowd because it'll be right about noon when I tell that story. All right? Yes. Now, you're right. Here's... No, 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 no nuts. All right. Oh, wait a minute. Yes, there is. Thank you, Doug. Because underneath all that is the crunch of macadamia nuts. Yeah, 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 yeah. Awesome cookie, right? <laughs> now, why do we tell you that story? Friends, let's go back to personal culture. When people hang out with you, they take a little bite of you. And the interesting thing is, they get a taste. And when the love that we have has gentleness and compassion and humility 
and patience and forgiveness and gratitude and peace. Wow. They don't just get one flavor. They get layers of flavor from us. And here's what I know about you and me. When we take a bite of a cookie and we get all those layers of flavor, as soon as we're done with that cookie, our mind starts doing something else. It's called aftertaste, right? And we taste all those flavors again and again and again, each time a little weaker until we finally say, I need another one of those. I need a flavor reminder, right? Can I just leave you with this picture? Wouldn't it be wonderful if as Jesus followers, every time someone took a bite of us, they got layers of these rich and wonderful flavors. And when they left, they had the recycling aftertaste of all that wonderful goodness so that they would say, I need more of that. And friends, that's what actually drew people to Jesus. And it's the invitation he gives to us. Two things as we go. If you haven't decided to follow Jesus yet, I want to encourage you to do that today. It's the greatest thing you could ever do with your life. There's nothing like it. Nothing will change your life like that. And the second thing is this. If you've already made that decision, I want to encourage you this week, take three intentional times where you sit with Jesus and you let him deconstruct your love and you say, hey, what part of my clothing actually needs the most attention and I'm here to process that with you? And in the end, you and I will become more loving. Let's pray. God, thank you so much, so, so much that you love us to the degree that you would change us and that you are gentle and you're humble and you're compassionate and you're forgiving and you're patient. You're all those things to us. And it's our deepest desire to follow you in that. Not to imitate you, but to be influenced by you. So I pray for my friends today that every single one of us could leave this place and be aimed in a direction that at the end of this week, our lives would be richer and fuller and filled with greater depth and more layers of the wonderful flavor of love. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for coming today. God bless you. Have a great, great week. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.